It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you once again for being here. Really grateful to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion as we review the Hungarian Grand Prix. And as always, we are joined on the DNF1 panel this evening by Courtney Pine and Lee Wanningson. We have a full house this evening to review another dominant Max Verstappen win, arguably one of the most dominant that we've seen this season. A record-breaking win for Red Bull. It's their 12th win in a row, dating all the way back, beating the record. Uh, was it 1988? McLaren, yep. 11 wins in a row. Senna Prost, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, of course, contribute to this new record-breaking era of dominance by Red Bull. And I think first things first, Courtney, let's come to you on this one. First of all, how are you doing, mate? And are we surprised now about this Red Bull dominance? Because on Saturday, everyone was getting excited. Understandably, it was a tight qualifying session. Sir Lewis Hamilton putting it on pole position by three thousandths of a second really got everyone's excitement up to another octave. And his defense of that lead was over within one corner. And from then on then, the same thing carried on. Max Verstappen just continued to dominate. And, you know, great's got to recognize great. Not saying we're great, but in this case, fair play to the guy. But this is just unbelievable levels of dominance we're seeing right now. Yeah, I've got to sound, uh, I've got to avoid sounding like a broken record and a whinge or both, depending on your angle. Um, yeah, like you, you said it yourself on Saturday, it was encouraging. Uh, not just because the Mercedes fanboy, you know, had his uh, had his guy at the very front, but was was all sort of uh, building up to it. Lewis versus um, Max, you know, the the midfield battle is just becoming more and more competitive, which is good for the sport. And look, the, you always have to congratulate the people that are you know collecting the accolades, particularly Max has taken himself to the next level. 
But for the general spectacle, it we want to be seeing more competition. And again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I really hope things change next year because, yep, yeah, you want to congratulate Red Bull, but at the same time, you want to be seeing battles that you're going to remember for a long time. Not battles only for race wins, but for championships. Yeah, very, very true. And... You know, obviously, F1 fans are going to be excited when, you know, especially because it was Hamilton that got it on pole position. It was his first pole in God only knows how long it's been since we've seen Hamilton on pole position. It's crazy because this is the guy that has the record for the most pole positions in Formula One, arguably F1's greatest qualifier over one lap. 104 pole positions now, which is an insane number when you think about it. Lee... RF1 fans at the moment a little bit guilty of perhaps getting a little overexcited on a Saturday and ignoring how how much of a contrast there is between race pace and one lap pace at the moment. Probably to a degree, F1 fans probably are. But the three of us have all talked about in the past where, oh, well, let's do the FIA or Formula 1 are looking at doing changes to qualifying. Like, but qualifying is great. Saturday was a perfect example of why it's great in its current scenario. We had close um, lap times. The field, obviously, track specific, but the field spread was really um, tiny across the 10 teams. And it was a really enjoyable qualifying session. Um, just in the, in the competitive order. You, you, but it was probably, well, it probably was a session this year that wasn't predictable about who's actually going to be on pole, which is uh, obviously from a entertainment perspective is really was really nice to have but yeah as you just said qualifying is very different but well, one lap pace is very different to a race pace and how you handle your tires your fuel usage and obviously how the car feels on a full load um light load um light loaders as the mercedes came alive as we'll obviously get to uh in further into the re- the review but we do have to understand that it's different scenarios and different tests in the car and we can't just get ahead of ourselves because one is has been more enjoyable than the other. Yeah, that's a good point. Of course, you know, you're referring to the change in qualifying format that we saw this weekend, part of F1's initiative to try and reduce its carbon footprint around the world by allocating 11 sets of tyres to each of the teams throughout this weekend per driver, of course. Obviously not 11 sets to share. That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, reduced from 13, of course, and... Look, two sets of tyres, you might be listening to this and thinking, well, what's two sets of tyres going to make in terms of carbon footprint? Apparently quite a lot. So, you know, it's 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 a good initiative on paper. I think I agree, Lee. It did create a little bit of excitement and, you know, a bit of a spontaneity, if you like, throughout the course of this weekend. Really made the teams have to be more mindful about how they use these tyres and when they can use them. Of course, Quali, the new format was built so that you used all three sets of dry tyres, assuming you got to Q3. And the result was quite an exciting qualifying session, not just because Hamilton got on pole position, but we had two McLarens on the second row of the grid. We had Joe Guan Yu, the fastest Ferrari-powered car in P5. Ultimately, his race completely went the other way. Bottas in the other Alpha in P7. And Hulkenberg, once again, another top 10 qualifying performance. So plenty of variety and excitement. But of course, as you mentioned as well, the race pace was a completely different beast altogether. And I think what we saw as the race panned out, that those that were fast went ended up being at the front of the field and those that were struggling ended up falling back despite their qualifying heroics. Courtney, 
I think I'm going to come to you on the next question. Before we talk about the dominance of Max Verstappen, I think there's one question that I want to put to you and I also want to put this to you as well, Lee. The Rosberg garage selfie jinx. Now, is this a thing? Because I've seen it a few times, not really paid too much attention. But this weekend, we saw Rosberg taking a picture on Saturday morning outside Max Verstappen garage alluding to the fact that he predicted Max to put it on pole. I mean, quite frankly, we all did. I think hmm. everybody except Tom Bellingham from Matt and Tom, uh, from P1 with Matt and Tommy, predicted that Max was going to be on pole position and he ended up being right picking Lewis. Max didn't get it on pole. On Sunday morning, Rosberg, I think he knew what he was doing here or playing along to it, took a picture outside Lewis Hamilton's garage on Sunday morning before the race and then his lead literally eroded away within one corner. So, uh, is the Rosberg garage jinx real? What do you reckon? You're talking to a very superstitious person, so I'm going to say absolutely. Uh, you're, you're talking to somebody that obviously is also a big football fan, and whenever I go to games, I actually have a match day ritual, which is going to the um, going to the pie mass shop, going to the pub, and then going to the game by a certain time. And if I break that ritual, I'll be convinced that we'll lose. So I'm going to say it's 100% a curse. And maybe um, maybe Nico needs to, next season, if you have a tight championship battle, you have to sort of strategically pick which garage he's going to take a picture outside of. Yeah, he might need to even it out so he has a picture outside every garage throughout the course of the season. I mean, given the number of races... He could probably get through everybody's garage at least once throughout the season and a few unlucky people will just have an extra turn, but uh, I'm sure we can make that happen. Lee, what about you? you superstitious guy? Do you believe in all that stuff? No, I'm not superstitious at all, so I would say that's just a <laughs> coincidence. Um, I'm sure Nico took pictures when he was driving for Mercedes against Lewis and I'm sure that didn't give him any bad luck at those times either. Um Although he could, he probably did take some outside Lewis's garage <laughs> when he wanted Lewis to have a bad weekend. Now, nah, but I, in all jest, I don't think there's anything. Um, there's no jinx or a curse on that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were saying on social media when this came up after Saturday qualifying. As soon as we saw the picture outside Lewis's garage, everyone was looking like, "Great, Nico's cursed Lewis. He knows exactly what he's doing here. The jinx is real." and I'll be honest with you, I don't think Lewis's lead could have eroded way any more emphatically than it did, given that Max got him at turn one. In all fairness, we were all building up the excitement. You're thinking, oh, it's Lewis versus Max into turn one. There's going to be fireworks. To their credit, it was a firm fought battle into turn one, but a pretty clean and fair one by their standards as well. And the McLarens got involved. And unfortunately for Lewis, they managed to get him as well for P2 and P3 at the time. So, uh yeah, a little bit disappointed we didn't see more of it than we did, but uh, I think it just points to how good Max Verstappen is right now. Yeah, he, he's on a high. There you go, yeah. Courtney. No, it's... The the battle itself, like Adam, you put it perfectly yourself, the, the battle itself was firm but fairer, which we wanted to see a lot more in 2021. Like We, we all know it wasn't good enough in 2021 when these two come together on track um, as often as they did but yeah I, I would have I would have liked to have seen um, much more of it and I think once again I think McLaren gave us you know let, let's be honest it wasn't the greatest race in the world but McLaren probably made it a bit more interesting than we probably would have thought of if Max just sort of whisked away into the background yeah 
And of course, you know, Mercedes did a good job towards the end of it to add a little bit more spice towards the end of the Grand Prix. But talking about Max Verstappen in particular now, seven wins in a row, I believe it is for Max Verstappen. Uh, 110 points ahead of Sergio Perez in the Drivers' Championship. I mean, we're talking records here about Red Bull. I think it was Bryson Sullivan on Twitter. I think you put this in the group chat, Courtney. They showed this. Mm -hmm. But this is how crazy Red Bull's dominance has been right now. The last time they didn't win a Grand Prix was when George Russell won the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2022. If we take that victory out, Red Bull's winning streak would go as far back as 22 Grand Prix's. And I think you have to go back to, what was it, Charles Leclerc's last win for Ferrari um, at the, was it the Austrian Grand Prix? Uh, Before, I I think it must have been the Austrian Grand Prix. Yeah, unless I'm wrong. But yeah, somewhere along that time, since Red Bull last failed to win a Grand Prix with the exception, of course, of Russell in Brazil. And I know, you know, we keep going on and we keep saying about, oh, you know, things need to be a little bit more... Uh, sporadic, or we need to try and find a way to end this dominance. But I think everything else aside, all the other caveats you can throw at this, it's just unprecedented right now what Red Bull are doing. It's sheer brilliance. And I think when we look back on this period, we will look back on it in the same way that we do with McLaren in 88, uh, Ferrari in 2002 or 2004, Mercedes in 2016 when Hamilton and Rosberg between them won 10 races on the bounce. It's impressive stuff, and you have to take your hat off to Red Bull and to Max Verstappen as well, who has been equally brilliant. Yeah, he has been equally brilliant, and as a that's and he was he's on a high, and his confidence is well, it's obviously an all time high. He's got you know he's got the machinery, he's got trust in the team, the team has trust trust in him, and you you got to that sweet spot as a team that you know you can deliver and each each cog of that team will deliver um and it just takes it to the next level yeah absolutely agree uh corny any words on max uh before we move on to his teammate yeah i, I think the, the reliability um factor plays a part as well and I, I, look it's great that the cars are a lot more reliable because you know they the team's put a lot of time and money into you know Finishing in the desired points finishes that they get, whether it be wins or below. So it's good. You want to see you want to see more reliability. You want it's obviously good for the teams going forward with um, cost cap measures being more environmentally friendly. But it has kind of taken away some of the jeopardy as well. So when you have to look through some of the periods of dominance, obviously the Mercedes in twenty fourteen, for example, it was notoriously uh, dominant. And the only reason why the Mercedes didn't get a clean sweep in 2014 was because of the reliability issues that every single team got faced with that season. So I do feel that if the cars weren't as reliable, we wouldn't be seeing this level of dominance. But it is what it is. But I just I just really hope that we uh, get some more teams battling for next season moving forward. Because, yes, it's great for Red Bull. It's great for Max and his fans. But for the general sport itself... I don't think it's healthy um, for, you know, a sport bringing in new fans. I think we uh, saw it last week with uh, this yeah, same thing in tennis with Novak Djokovic. When he's dominating, it's great for Djokovic and for hard, like, hardcore tennis fans to go, you know, we're seeing the great here. But the fact that he lost to Alvarez in that final in Wimbledon, that will attract more neutral fans to 
the sport moving forward. And I do feel if another team catches up, it will be better for F1 moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, I, I think the ATR regs are having the desired effect to a certain degree. But obviously the team right now that is currently dominating the sport, it's clear to see why. And, you know, we can look up and down the field. But the reality is, is everyone is trying to converge down this Red Bull concept. We see it as the way to go. But obviously, when you've got a team that's got 18 months more experience, know-how and resource invested into this, it's only going to be one outcome, especially when you have a driver as brilliant as Max Verstappen dominating in Formula One right now. There's, it, it's, um, it's very much like what Jackie Stewart used to do. Michael Schumacher used to do, Sebastian Vettel used to do, um, Hamilton on occasion when he would run away with races. He was never quite the the start to finish dominator in the same way that those guys were, even though he won so many races, there was a bit more action in certain aspects to it. Um, not implying that Lewis Hamilton didn't dominate in the same way that Max did, of course he did, but uh, you see those hallmarks there. Um, let's talk about Sergio Perez though, because I think this is important. A lot of stories have been made a lot of people have been talking ourselves included about what impact Daniel Ricciardo would have on his return to AlphaTauri and how that could shape the future of Sergio Perez at Red Bull qualifying wasn't overly impressive by Perez albeit he was only four tenths of a second off pole position but that was the difference between P1 and P9 and you know Hulkenberg half a second off of Lewis first attempt was probably the smallest field spread we had between the top 10 in qualifying so it's impressive stuff there um, but he fought his way through the field, looked pretty quick, got up to P3, wasn't too far away from Lando at the end, just about held off Lewis towards the back end of the race. Martin Brundle hailed it as a statement drive from Sergio Perez, much more akin to what Red Bull would have been hoping for from him. Would you agree with that one, guys? Um, Lee, let's go to you first. Yeah, all right. as a drive, it was definitely a statement drive. He was he was on, def- on a mission. You could see he's, the quality of his passes and his manoeuvres. Um, through the field of how he's setting his cart for the overtakes and there was, there was a lot more methodical Sergio than we've seen in the last few races and this is where it seemed a bit desperate and haphazard um, so it's nice to see that Sergio doing what we know he can do it's a shame to see when you have drivers that you know they can deliver better and they're not um, so it's great to see him do that step up um, but on the sign of the qualifying, yes, it's also partly track specific, but four attempts earlier in the season would have still put Sergio in the top three on the grid. But because obviously, as I said, some of it is track specific, but because the field has closed up, Max is doing brilliantly and putting it so far ahead. But there's now cars in between that four attempts, which is leaving when Sergio is not having a messy qualifying, which he has had recently, and he's good that he didn't have one this weekend. There's now other cars in his way, which is obviously making his race more difficult than it should be being so far behind his teammate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on Friday as well, you know, he had that moment where he put a wheel on the grass and he crashed the car and obviously gave onlookers and cameramen that were quite lively another opportunity to see the underfloor of the Red Bull, probably to a much larger detail than they did at Monaco, which would have really annoyed Red Bull. I think Christian Horner was very distraught about that. But Perez recovered it very, very well. And Courtney, I know you're brimming at that comment there so about Christian Horner. So uh, I'm definitely going to come to you on this next part. But um, my point with Perez is we saw throughout the race today that he was getting the elbows out. It was quite aggressive with the overtakes, but aggressive, not too aggressive, but aggressive enough to get the moves done. And this is the Sergio Perez that we want to see. It's the Sergio Perez Red Bull want to see. It was very 
uh, defiant, very emphatic. And I think Sergio Perez was really up for the fight today in particular. And I don't think if I think if he keeps doing what he's doing today, what he did today and just does that for the rest of the season. I think, as we said before, he's got absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of his future. This is what Red Bull want from their number two driver. Yeah, look, if he has another solid performance in Spa, then he's going to be able to enjoy his summer break with a much more of a, shall we say, clean conscience. He won't be looking over his shoulder as much. I think given what's been happening with Dan Ricciardo at um, Alpha Tauri, um, I think we've all been asking that question over, over the last few days. Will Daniel eventually take that seat at Red Bull? The case is very much still open. It is going to take some more performances, uh, good performances from Sergio Perez to solidify that um, that claim for that second seat. But at the same time, I do agree with what you know you've been saying about Sergio making a statement drive. But I do want to throw in the Red Bull upgrades. Um, we saw that Max did finish over 30 seconds clear of um, Lando Norris. And that's that's despite the improvements that McLaren have made. So the fact that the Red Bull has obviously become faster compared to the competitors again, you are, it is going to be easier for Sergio Perez to, you know, challenge the guys in that tight midfield battle than maybe it would have been in the last race or even before then. So he did put in a good performance. But I do think there's a little bit of a uh, performance advantage that has uh, played a part in him being able to carve through the field as fast as he did. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, that's very true as well. And I think going forward, Red Bull will certainly want him to qualify better so that these performances on Sunday that he has been putting in of recent weeks won't be necessary to the same degree. He'll be able to compete with his teammate to a certain extent like he was at the start of the season uh, or at the very least comfortably be finishing in P2 and you're right to point out the huge gap that Red Bull have the advantages that they have the upgrades that they have as well it's like Max Verstappen said you know when people were talking about the Red Bull floor in Monaco and everyone was thinking oh we're going to copy that or we're going to make our own version of that and and Max just basically said well you can do that and that's fine but by the time it takes you to you know, get the pictures back, reverse engineer everything within the rules, of course, because you can't just take something, reverse engineer it and put it to your own car. You have to figure it all out on your own. By the time you've done all of that and run the sim work, do the CAD stuff, put it on, make the upgrades, put it on your car and find out if it actually works or not, Red Bull have already chimed out the next two or three versions of that floor and are even further ahead by then. So it's almost a redundant process. You Not only do you have to figure out what Red Bull were doing with this concept because everybody's converging down that same design route. You have to get ahead of them. And when you're 18 months behind, as some teams are, like Mercedes, for example, 
that's almost an impossible task to do, even with the budget cap and and the ATR regs and the punishment Red Bull are going to have that will they'll start to feel towards the back end of this season with the ATR regs. It's still a very very difficult thing to do. Yeah, it's definitely a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's always been been the mantra that the best way to beat them is not to copy them. It's always to think of something new. Um, you have that new innovation, and copying isn't that innovation. But if you understand it better than the original, then by all means, you can have a go and make improvements that um, the great Adrian Newey has missed, which could happen. Um, obviously, he's not an all-knowing um, aerodynamicist. He's very close to being that, but he isn't mm-hmm. an all-knowing uh, uh, aerodynamicist. So, but there are chances, like you. Just as an example, McLaren made a big jump in the last couple of races with their upgrades, which Mercedes said, oh, there's no silver bullet upgrade, but McLaren obviously found a silver bullet upgrade for their car. So it's all different um, rings and roses and then roundabouts and that thing. So is a, a lot can be done, but a silver bullet can exist in some capacity that just works for your car that in theory shouldn't work for Red Bull because you obviously... The, there are different parts of the car that are different. They're not 100% the same. Even the ones that are Red Bull inspired will not be same equal machinery. I think what we need, and I'm just sort of thinking how the... Because we're always talking about Red Bull's dominance. We're always talking about the same problems that the teams have. We never offer a solution. I think one way that we could get the teams to catch up to Red Bull and then maybe overtake them in an in a, you know, ideal scenario for these teams, we send a few spies to go into the Red Bull factory. Someone go into Agent Nui's office, sneak in there, take all the pencils, all the rulers, all the protractors, <laughs> all the, you know, the geometrical shapes that he uses to design these cars, take all of that in his graphics table and just take it. Because the man doesn't like using like the modern technology to design his F1 cards. He still uses the pencil and paper and everything else I just mentioned to design these cars. If we take that and take his tools away, they can't design anything. Maybe we might be able to see the other teams catch Red Bull. And it's a bit far-fetched out there, but uh, I don't know. Got to throw something out there. Offer a solution, people always say. So there you go. There's uh, your solution. Look, look, it's, um, I, I, I like your thinking, but it's, it's, it's all, we're almost at the uh, the point of desperation of seeing uh, close battles for race wins. Um, we'll get there one day. It's, it's, it's just a case of when. It is. Or if we're desperate, we get the FIA to scrutinise the cost cap and the budget cap even further and introduce layers of rules within that cost cap on how much you can spend on a certain thing and just reduce Red Bull's stationary budget to zero. Eventually, that should work. So they won't be able to design anything. Um, Cost cap and stuff aside. Courtney, um, I know you had a rant section that you wanted to talk about. Um, By all means, the floor is yours. What's your rant about this weekend? We We was hearing a lot in this race about overheating. And I I wanna I wanna say that this is a mini rant, not a full blown rant, because I yeah, because the, the level of the issue isn't massive. Um but I've just noticed that as these cars are becoming more aerodynamically um efficient, we are starting to see more regularly, we are starting to see uh more complaints of cars sort of more often than being stuck behind um obviously stuck behind the cars ahead of them. Um, we see a lot more complaints about like the the brakes, 
And because we saw with Mercedes in particular, they had to uh, they had to lift and coast at times in order to keep the car cooler. Obviously, we all know the temperature itself does play a part in it. Um, I'm not worried we're going to go back anywhere near to the 2021 regulation. Uh, not before the 2022 regulation. I don't think we're going to go back to that level, but I'm just going to be interested to see where this goes as the teams continue to become more aerodynamically efficient. It's an interesting one because I I personally think the ground effect cars are much better at following each other than they used to be. I don't know if they're as good as they were last season because we got a lot more overtakes last season than we're getting at the moment on average. And... I I think we saw in this race, I think you're right, I think we got to a point where the field spread out and there was a gap to the other cars. And I did think we get to we got to a point where we had to wait for the tyre offset to, you know, to come for some drivers in order to see certain gaps change. I mean, there was one point towards the end of the race where George Russell wanted to pit because he wanted to go for fastest lap, sacrifice a bit of track position and re-overtake the Aston Martins just because he was struggling to get closer to the Ferraris in the dirty air. And Mercedes told him, to, no, just to carry on, you are faster. And then eventually he got them both, you know, owing to Leclerc's time penalty. But he did get them both in the end. So I, I can totally understand that point. I think it is fairly relevant. I think you're going to see at circuits like Hungary where that is a bit of a problem. I think at other circuits, perhaps not so much. But uh, certainly food to thought with these regulations as time goes on. Will the cars increasingly become more difficult to follow? as they were in 2021. Um, I mean, what do you reckon, Lee? Well, I mean, as the teams get on top of the aerodynamics of these new, but these generation of rules, so not new because it's not new anymore, but this generation of rules, their cars will gain downforce and as the cars gain more downforce, especially on top of the car, see, from the ground effect side of things, there is obviously a slight upwash, but not nowhere near the level of the the 21 um, regulations, um, but they will reduce um, or make it difficult as there's more aerodynamic load put on the car. Obviously, there's more technical jargon behind it and explanations on how that obviously works, which I have no no idea of going that technical um, level. But it's inevitable that the cars will get harder and harder unless regulations are amended. Not saying that if I need to make anything decision now or do that, but there will be things that put on that will make it harder and harder as the seasons go on. Um, like just going back, not that they've seen any, but you, if you know back in like the 2000, 2007, 2008 seasons, they had the little winglets in there on the part. And it's like, if you, if you know both of them recorded a bit, so I'm talking of the veins and everything that stick off every left, right and centre of the car. And it's mm. those kind of things I've seen uh, made it massively uh, difficult to overtake. Um, so, they haven't got those kind of things, but that's the kind of things that will creep on to the car. Not obviously they're illegal, but there be area aspects that will creep on and make it harder and harder and harder. Um, so they FA just have to keep on top of it to make sure that the uh, the spirit of the regulations are obviously kept in touch. Oh God, the spirit of the regulations. Yes, I had to use the terminology, the spirit of the regulations. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I don't think we want to go down that rabbit hole again because uh, Adrian Newey will definitely be calling up, not only because I've stolen all these pencils and paper, but uh, because we're mentioning the spirit of the rules rather than what's written on that paper. So uh, yeah, I think we're going to cr- move over from that one, on, uh, yeah. if that's all right. Let's talk about McLaren. Let's talk about something a bit more chipper. Um, yeah. McLaren, wow, wow, wow. I mean, where do we begin? Because 
you know, at the start, yeah, let's start the start, of course. Um, <laughs> well, no, we started the weekend, you know, talking about McLaren and thinking, will they be able to replicate their heroics at Silverstone? And obviously, what Lando was doing at Austria, would they be able to do that? And we all kind of, I think, we put cold water on this. Admittedly, I very much did not expect McLaren to be fighting for a podium, let alone a double podium, which was also on the cars this weekend. And Lando Norris, once again, just shows why he is one of the best drivers in Formula One at this point in time and why all the big teams are looking around at him. But that being said, I I can't really think of why he would want to leave McLaren right now because they've made huge progress. Um, I'm sure there's an element of this where the new tyres that Pirelli have introduced at Silverstone have probably helped in that regard, but they were still very, very quick in Austria before that came in, so you can't take too much off of them. And Oscar Piastri, for large parts of the race, was very much on par with Lando Norris. He was ahead of him at the first stint. bit unlucky how things panned out with the pit stops, but I think that was probably more by design by McLaren because Lando looked like he had a bit more pace, and I think he showed that. But they have shown that on a track that was meant to expose their weaknesses, that they were still very, very strong. At some points, it looked like the second fastest team. So, got to say, hats off to McLaren. It's incredible stuff, and... I guess this is the expectation now. We we are going to be going to circuits where McLaren could be Red Bull's biggest challengers. Yeah, if you have a look at um, Spa, you, you you expect them to be decent in Spa, and then you know you even look at Zandvoort after the uh, the summer break. It's Zandvoort, isn't it? First race after summer break. I believe so. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So again, like after after you know after the Hungary, we all expect that to be McLaren's stiffest test for the foreseeable future, given some of the circuits that we're going to um, after this. Now they've got past this hurdle, uh, barring, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a Ferrari or an Aston Martin come up with, a, yet again, the proverbial silver bullet. You, you've got to say, it's, it's mainly going to be um, McLaren and Mercedes and Ferrari in a good day, challenging for podiums. And Look, I, I've been very vocal in my complaints about this season not being interesting. We do, we'd obviously like to see these battles at the very front, but I do feel the emergence of McLaren over the last few races has given this season a lease of life. So, me personally, I'm really pleased to see McLaren where they are. And you're right, it's good for a driver of Lando Norris's uh, caliber. So, I, I think we we can now put him in that caliber. You know, where with the right machinery, he could challenge anybody on the grid. So, I'm glad to see him have the machinery to be able to challenge and, and you know, duel the likes of uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton because I think he's at that level now. He's certainly getting there very, very quickly and everybody's seeing it right now and it's and it's great to see at this point in time. Um, Obviously, we've got to talk about uh, the strategy as well at McLaren. A lot of people were saying that Piastri was a bit hard done by because Lando was given the undercut preference where normally teams often give that to the driver that was leading out of the two, which was Piastri in this case. Um, what did you guys make of that? Do you think that was the right call? Because I think at the time it seemed a bit harsh in my opinion, but I think Lando, when he stretched his legs, pulled out a gap on his teammate on those harder tyres and you know, given how the race unfolded with Perez coming through the field, it's probably fair to say that if they didn't do that, Perez would have ended up P2 today. Yeah, I think it was the the right call. Um, I mean, there may you may or you do have the argument that Oscar was a bit hard done by, but he didn't question it. He just got on with it. He asked his engineer what that time zone to be setting. What do I need to be doing? And just got on with it. He, between 
Oscar and Lando, they were working as a team and they were delivering the best result for the team and not obviously what they believe they can do for their egos. Um, you just have to look at Ferrari about the mess that can potentially do with where the ego takes a bit of priority. Um, but McLaren brought the best result they could for today with their, the team and the teamwork. And you have to think within two races, McLaren doubled their points on the constructors, or more or less. Yeah. Um, which is great for the team. And as Courtney said, the next two or three races may suit McLaren more than the Hungary ring. That McLaren could easily find themselves pulling themselves into the fight for P3 and the constructors which be a very interesting end to the uh, the season yeah it's a good point and of course something mclaren need to look for going forward um corny i mean we've got to talk about oscar piastri a little yeah. bit as i said some people probably felt a little bit hard done by i think the pace difference between the two really showed itself in the middle stint but uh you know his performances are still very very good at this point in time and if he keeps this up, it's only a matter of time before Oscar gets on the podium this weekend or next weekend. Yeah, um, I, I do feel that if McLaren obviously continue to be at that level where they're regularly challenging for podiums, they've got two exceptionally talented and you know young and hungry drivers. I do feel it's only a matter of time before you're going to see not fireworks as such. I think it's very easy to sort of get carried away, but I, I do feel that a rivalry within that team will start to build because there's been a couple of occasions there where Oscar Piastri will feel that he could have got, you know, the better of of the two drivers over the last couple of races. So, again, it's just another uh, area of intrigue to perhaps look forward to. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So we'll have to hope for Oscar's sake that that will continue. I would just say add one more thing is obviously every other team's got to be careful with another Lando. Podium because their trophies may not <laughs> last. <laughs> yeah. uh, they want to take those home to the factory. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, for the, for those of you that didn't know, obviously we're watching the podium celebrations and Lando doing this trademark thing now. I think a lot of drivers that get on the podium try to do a trademark celebration on the podium. We had Ricardo with the shoey. Uh, Seb Vettel used to do the old Egyptian dances, didn't he? The walk like Egyptian dance. Um, and Lando Norris now. Uh, with his uh, pops down the champagne on the floor to get the spray to come up. I think Lewis tried it at Silverstone. It didn't go quite right. <laughs> but by Lando doing it this time, he accidentally knocked over Max Verstappen's uh, P1 trophy and broke it. And I know a lot of people probably think, oh, well, it's okay because Max will get another one in a week's time. I think you put that on social <laughs> media as well, Corny. But just... <laughs> But just a bit of insight on this one. Um, why uh, it may not be so straightforward or why this trophy might be a little bit missed. Um, apparently, according to a few people on Twitter, I think this one was from Vincenzo Landino um, on Twitter. He put that the trophy for Max Verstappen's P1 trophy took six months to make by hand and cost 40,000 euros. So uh, I think we might see Red Bull send a little cheeky bill over to McLaren <laughs> to uh, either that or ask them to get the super glue out and uh, put that all together. That might, In a cost cap era, that might be the more beneficial solution, perhaps. I was going I was, I was to say, can you imagine if, uh, can you imagine if Red Bull uh, paid the bill and then they had a, a cost cap breach of 40000 and all hell broke loose and Red, everyone everyone was after Red Bull to get disqualified from both championships. Mm. And it all started when Lando Nor Norris broke uh, Max's trophy. Lando has saved Formula One by <laughs> getting Red Bull punished because he broke Max's trophy. I suppose they could probably loan them Adrian Newey for about six minutes 
um, to cut for about 40 grand, something like that. I'm sure there's enough time for him to design a car or at least a rough sketch and they'll just trace over it. It's like, this will do. This will do. Or they just start giving plastic trophies. You know, you get told off by your parents when you're a kid for making a mess at the table. You're going to have plastic cutlery or plastic plates. It's like, Lando, you're going to have plastic trophies. Oh, well, you can't have any any fine china trophies anymore. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, that would go completely against the, the carbon footprint initiative, wouldn't it? If they started bringing out <laughs> yeah, plastic every five seconds. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the nicer trophies, the Hungarian Grand Prix, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very, very fragile stuff. But uh, I mean, last year, the bottom fell off anyway, didn't it? Um, so it's just one of those things, I guess, with uh, Max Verstappen's P1 trophies. He's getting so many now. I think Martin Brundle said they're going to need a warehouse to put them all away at this point. So uh, yeah, it was quite amusing. Um, seemed to make a bit of lightheartedness of it. I don't think Max was too bothered about it. It was quite funny, but uh there you go. Another reason to love Lando Norris. Um, hilarious stuff. Let's talk about Mercedes. We should talk about them. Um, interesting weekend for them. I think they looked like they were going to be struggling. Practice certainly suggested that they were going to be struggling. But Mick Schumacher put in the hours in the simulator, doing a great job. The unsung hero this season. And on Saturday, the pace was there for Mercedes. Hamilton putting it on pole. Didn't quite have the race pace that we were hoping that they would have. But even still, Hamilton putting in a solid drive, P4. Russell, a great recovery, despite a dismal qualifying session in P18, all the way up to P6. I think Mercedes can be pretty happy about that under the circumstances, considering that they both beat Ferrari and Aston Martin, who in truth were their competitors uh, at the moment in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, I think particularly that... Um... That final stint, they they seem to be uh, they seem to be rapid, not uh, Max Verstappen level rapid, but in comparison to the the majority of their rivals, they were really good in that final stint. So that might be um, an area of research that Mercedes will look towards um, in terms of getting the best out of this car because we're getting to the the stage of the season now. Particularly now, Red Bull seem to have both championships wrapped up. We're getting probably get to the stage of the season now where teams be looking more forward to twenty twenty four. So it'd be the case of getting the best of what you got now. So maybe Mercedes, that, that could be the direction that Mercedes heading now. And it's a real head scratcher for them, isn't it? Because they have openly admitted after looking at what McLaren have done and the route which it took for them to get to where they are, it has caused them to raise questions about what they're doing with their own car and whether or not they need to pursue with what they're doing or try and do something similar. As we've already established, I think we have to get to this point where I don't know if Mercedes copying what McLaren are doing in terms of the method is really going to work for them. But, you know, because we don't... Mercedes aren't going to catch Red Bull by copying what they do. But in terms of making progress in the short term and putting themselves on a good platform, I think it's a good initiative for Mercedes to look at what McLaren are doing and start to raise questions about their own processes. Because right now, McLaren took everybody by surprise. And, and whilst I felt that Mercedes were in the best position to challenge Red Bull long-term. It does feel right now that that's more out of hope rather than expectation. And what do you reckon, Lee? Uh, as a, a team, um, Mercedes are probably the best place team long-term to challenge Red Bull. I do agree with you on that. They, But they're not a recent championship winning team, but they have, well, I mean, recent as in the last year. But obviously, they are a relatively recent championship-winning team. They've been in championship fights. And that, although there has been a bit of staff turnaround, that knowledge is still retained on the team. You have other teams 
like McLaren and Ferrari, who have won championships in the past, who have lost their experience within the team and how to handle championship fights. Um, the intense situations, especially towards the end of the season when the, it's the race is depending on it. There's no experience there in those teams. I'm sure I may have some, but there's going to be no experience in those teams. There's 15 years for both of those example teams. But it's all moved on. Um, and that takes time to learn. So maybe McLaren may be the faster car at the moment than Mercedes, but they're not in a position with all that knowledge of them, how to win a championship. And they will have to be in championship fights and they probably have to lose a few to retain their knowledge to, to eventually win, where Mercedes doesn't don't have to go down that path because they've already done that at the moment. So once they're on top of their car, they'll be the best place for sure um, to, to challenge it to Red Bull. But having their internal re- review processes and their design, it's always good to improve um, and not get into a mess. So the fact they question themselves and looking for improvements it's all obviously the right purpose of uh, giving us an exciting uh, championship. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got to hope that. Mercedes, again, they are optimizing their Sunday performances. The drivers are doing a great job to try and get the maximum result that they can. So you've got to hope that Mercedes will be able to improve the car enough where they will be in that position. Right now, it's still a long way away from Red Bull and Max Verstappen. I think we have to be realistic here. We saw on a track where your strengths are going to be very much honed in, your weaknesses are going to be exposed. Max Verstappen, in a controlled fashion, is still half a minute clear of everybody else. So uh, it's still a long way to go. On a separate topic, Sky F1 were doing their broadcast for the juniors element uh, this weekend. We saw a few moments of it, and for for what it was, it seemed okay. It seemed like a, a nice initiative to get younger fans into the sport. Whether it works long-term or not, we'll have to wait and see. Or if this was just a one-off, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But there was an interesting interview that Toto Wolf had with one of the child reporters on there. And apparently, according to Sky Germany, um, Toto Wolf had told this kid, he whispered in his ear, that Lewis Hamilton was going to be signing a two-year extension to his contract. And then the child reporter said it on live television afterwards. Um, I mean, we can only take this information with a grain of salt. We can't take it as... Even though Toto Wolf may have said it to him, we we can't know because we didn't hear that. The child could have just said it. I'm not accusing him of uh, fibbing in this case, but uh, it does feel like Lewis Hamilton is going to be committing his medium-term future to the team, which does show that there is a little bit of optimism there, at least, that perhaps a Mercedes, by the time Lewis gets to the end of that contract, if he extends, they could be in a position, perhaps where... 
we'll see Lewis being able to fight Max on Sunday rather than just on the Saturday, for example. We we all know how emotional a driver Lewis is, and particularly at the stage of the career of his career that he's at, I I can't help but feel that if he didn't have any hope in uh, Mercedes, as you said, Adam, in that period of time you just mentioned, I I think I I I would see Lewis walking off into the sunset at the end of the season. So it is just a matter of time before that contract is signed, and it's just gonna again, it's just gonna be very intriguing to see where Mercedes go, because I, I can't quite wrap my head around, and I don't think even a lot of the personnel at Mercedes can quite wrap their heads around where they are moving forward. Obviously, behind Red Bull, but where are they? What What, what is the trajectory they're moving on? We've obviously seen the big step forward that McLaren have made, but Mercedes are still, they just seem to be very like unpredictable this season. I think I think they do seem to have taken a step ahead of Mercedes, um, Ferrari and Aston Martin, but they just seem to be very unpredictable. Yeah, it's very unpredictable at the moment. And I agree with Total Wolf. He maintained that Mercedes probably had the second fastest car this weekend. I think there is an element of truth to that, although I think Lando Norris did a phenomenal job this weekend in the McLaren. So I think you have to factor that in as well in McLaren's favour. But I don't think it was a weekend where opportunities got away from Mercedes. In a way, you could argue perhaps they did the best job possible and you have to hold your hands up to what Lando did, what Checo did. And Russell recovered it brilliantly to start P18 and finish ahead of both Aston Martins and both Ferraris as well. So I think you have to take the positives this weekend for Mercedes and go again to other circuits where they may be a bit stronger going forward. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, you've got to take the good with the bad Mercedes. Speaking of bad... Um, tough weekend for Ferrari. I think a lot of us would have probably hoped for more from them. You know, granted, this is the team that often has high expectations and leaves us hopeful, but ultimately usually underperforms and doesn't really deliver on those expectations more often than not. It was also a very messy weekend for Ferrari. I think we can talk about the lack of pace that surprised them to a certain extent, but it was the fundamentals that they were getting wrong as well. Charles Leclerc's 9.4 9.4 second pit stop. Uh, there was also Charles Leclerc's five second penalty done by his own doing, doing as well. And in the midst of all of that, Carlos signs. if you took those penalties from Leclerc away, he's almost 20 seconds off the pace of his teammate in similar conditions. I mean, I know people will say, oh, well, Carlos was on an inferior strategy to Leclerc. But to be fair, in the middle stint, it kind of evened itself out on strategy. And it just showed that Carlos was still a ways behind. So, I mean, what do you guys make of it from Ferrari? I feel like I'm too emotionally involved in this little mini rant about Ferrari again. I, I kind of feel like I need a, an objective opinion on this right now. I, got me. I didn't think Carlos did too badly, but I, um, he always seems to be thereabouts with Charles. Um, but what I think the problem, well, apart from all the mistakes that the team made and obviously Charles's mistake, is, and it's been, in my opinion, it's been a recurring thing this season, is there's too much... Uh, being gentle to Charles going on within Ferrari, which I think is hurting them. Um, like just in the race of the example, when Carlos was on the softs at the start and Charles wasn't, Carlos had the the pace and should have been let to go to help him defend later in the race or gain positions. And they weren't going to let Charles ask Charles to let Carlos pass. Nope, that's that's not going to happen. We've got to look after Charles, and then and. In the later in the race, when Charles had the pace and Carlos was holding up, um, uh, Charles, 
they obviously didn't ask, well, they probably may have done ask, but because there was no give and receive, there was no swapping around. And, were, and I think that's really hurting them that the drivers aren't working as a team for the, the benefit of getting the most points for the team. And that's where I think they're hurting them, themselves the most. And as I said, I think this has happened several times this year already. Yeah, it, it seems to be at the moment with Ferrari that they just can't seem to make their mind up on what they're doing. And I, I don't, I didn't get it at the start of the race when you're right. I agree that they should have just let Carlos get past Leclerc because he was on softer tyres. They only had a certain time before they would have worn away and then they could have swapped him back without hurting Leclerc's race too much. Maybe he could have got after Lewis. You don't know. Um, and then there was, of course, the, the strategy confusion as well. Not even the pit stops when they were asking signs about doing this on strategy or doing that. And then Leclerc was asking for confirmation. They said, oh, we'll let you know at the end. He's like, what do you mean at the end? What, the end of the race or the end of the stint? Like, be And for me, it, it's just, it's it's the fundamentals. I think Martin Brundle said it perfectly. Like, Ferrari are struggling, but at least get the basics right, guys. Like, it's it's got to a point now where... I don't think anyone's really laughing anymore. Everyone's just like, oh, for goodness sake, Ferrari, can we just have one no, weekend? Yeah, you might still be laughing. That's fair enough. But um, I'm sure there are plenty of others. But it's just getting to the point now with Ferrari. It's like, guys, for one weekend, can we just have a normal, clean weekend where we don't make any obvious mistakes? I think what we're seeing now, uh, there, there's a cycle. And and the thing is, Adam, if you, if you had enough time on your hands, because I know you're a very busy guy, if you had enough time to go through the DNF1 archives, you will see that there's a cycle. There's a Ferrari cycle. And what was once a, a seasonal cycle has now become a race weekend cycle. You go into the weekend, I reckon Ferrari are going to be, they're going to they're gonna be decent here. Yeah, they, they should be best of the rest or, you know, right in the battle. We should put Go dates in. for this. Like, for so for example, me on the preview. That's literally me on the preview <laughs> on a Wednesday evening thinking, no, oh, Ferrari might do this. And then? <laughs> and then you, you you go into the practice sessions. You go, yeah, okay, you know, we, we, we can build. And then you, you'll get to the qualifying. There will bound to be a cock up by one of the drivers by then. So you have one of the drivers is already. And the cock up isn't uh, necessarily by the driver themselves it'd be again decisions made by the team and then so one of the drivers already be on a recovery drive on the sunday and then on the sunday you go oh you know what this this race pace isn't too bad you know it's it's, it's exceeding expectations are ferrari going to get themselves back in the mix bang strategic error bang pit stop error bang race ruined and that is actually the cycle that we are now seeing with Ferrari. Mm, absolutely. And we can't even factor this down to just being about the team. Like the drivers have their own element of this as well. Um, there used to be a point where we'd literally have a sympathy corner for Charles and Carlos, but they're even doing their own silly mistakes. Like Leclerc, for no reason, trying to push to the limit. And I get it. Obviously, you want to push to the limit all the time with the pit stops and try and gain time here or there. Obviously, he was aiming to undercut his teammate. But he ends up getting a five-second penalty and it puts him behind George Russell, who started 18th. It just sums it all up. And then the other key word that we're hearing a lot from Ferrari at the moment is sensitivity regarding their car. Now, Ferrari have come up with a plethora of excuses as to what their car is sensitive to. I conveniently made my own list that I want to share with you guys <laughs> to see what you think about what Ferrari cars are sensitive to. So from what I've seen this season, the Ferrari, uh, the SF23, the Ferrari seems to be sensitive to... Uh, 
Tracks with long straights, tracks with short straights, fast corners, slow corners, medium speed corners, soft tyres, hard tyres, medium tyres, pit stops, uh, following cars, driving in clean air, um, tracks that are hot, tracks that are cold, um, engine mapping in qualifying versus engine mapping in the race, um, crosswinds, tailwinds, headwinds, no winds, um, and for some reason tunnels in Monaco as well. I don't know why that one's on there. Um, is there anything that I've missed in there? Probably, but but this is the, this is the point. Sensitive with wet tyres. Oh yes. Well, we haven't had enough of those. Intermediates. I'm going to add that one to the list as well. We'll see how long this list gets by the end of the season. But that is. Adam, Adam, I, I need I need to interject. Uh, not only as your co-host, but as your friend, Ferrari have broken you. Mate. They've broken you. <laughs> I mean, I, I chose this life. Um, the, you know, the, the gluttony of enjoying Schumacher's success for many, many years made me feel that this was the norm. Apparently, it wasn't. So uh, I've got to live with it. I'm going to stick by it. I'm not going to be a Fairweather fan and go elsewhere. But, um, you know, you've got to hope for better days. It's the hope that always kills you. Let's talk about Aston Martin. And what's happened to them? Because they have really dropped down the pecking order. Um, there was a point... That not long ago, where we thought Aston Martin were still the out and out challengers to Red Bull, they were bragging on about the upgrades they were going to be bringing to the British Grand Prix, which they felt would put them on par with Red Bull at the very least, nipping at the heels. That couldn't be further from the truth. And, and now they find themselves the fifth fastest on the grid at this point in time. And all the great work that they've done at the start of the season starts to be eroding away where. The Constructors' Championship, they are starting to fall away from that one as well. They're losing touch with Mercedes. Even Ferrari, having the dismal weekends that they're having at the moment, are still catching them up. And you certainly can't rule out McLaren, given their current form, being able to catch them as well. And, uh, yeah, it's not looking good for Aston Martin right now, even with Fernando Alonso still putting in some good performances. Yeah, unfortunately, the string of Fernando Alonso podiums have come to an end, which is a shame. It's always nice to see him up on the on the podium. Um, I do think it's a mix that they've been outdeveloped, which is one thing we all raised at the beginning of the season that we Aston Martin maybe will do a good car, but can they keep up the development race? Um, at the moment, it doesn't look like they have. But I also the as you mentioned in off air, Adam is the uh, the tire changes probably impacted them badly as well. Um, obviously at Silverstone they changed the construction of the tires. Um, which has taken them back as well. Um. So it's a bit of shame that seeing Fernando go back, but at least as a team, they're operating well and Stroll isn't holding up Fernando and Fernando isn't holding up Stroll and they're obviously trying to maximise their points as a team, which is still very good to see. And especially with some of Fernando's history, um, it's nice to see how long that lasts. Yeah, Alonso had some interesting comments about the tyres because the line he's putting forward, there seems to be an emphasis on this new construction of Pirelli tyre that they introduced at Silverstone, playing a part towards Aston Martin's demise in recent weeks. And so he had this to say. He said, these new Pirelli tyres, no one is talking about it. We've lost performance out of nowhere. Red Bull isn't dominating easily anymore. Not sure that's true. Max couldn't get pole. McLaren is suddenly faster and Alfa Romeo too. I don't like it when they change important things mid-season. Excluding the obvious caveats to that statement, because, you know, Saturday qualifying is one thing, but Red Bull dominated the race and, and McLaren obviously have introduced some good upgrades. They didn't just turn up like they were good in Austria too. Alfa Romeo evidently was just a one-off in qualifying. They nailed it, but in the race they were dreadful as they have been this season. 
But to a degree, I don't think that's completely inaccurate what Alonso is saying about these new tyres. They have had a change. They were always going to have a change when you introduce something new that everyone's going to have to deal with uh, throughout the season. But is he right? Should the FIA and F1 make significant changes like the ones with these new tyres halfway through a season, similar to the way they did in 2013. And and we all knew what happened then because Seb Vettel just dominated the rest of the season when it was a very good season before that. Yeah, I think even if you have a look at last season, um, it does seem like the uh, regulation change over the summer break in 2022 hurt Ferrari big time. So it's not the first time it's happened, and, and I guess there's a degree of truth of what Fernando is saying, but you always need to, you know, reassess things. Uh, maybe not as dramatic as you know what we've seen over the last couple of seasons, but you always need to reassess things that can improve the sport. But sometimes, you know, you, you don't see it happen in other sports. Usually, the rules that are set at the beginning of the season are set in stone for the rest of the season. But I do wonder if uh, Aston Martin's issues are more than just the tyres. Um, and the concern that I kind of had for Aston Martin, all the question Mark had over Aston Martin is, you know, let's not forget that the team that Aston Martin took over were Force India. And historically, Force India were known as a, a, a team that made the best use of their limited resources. And they used to come out the blocks fast. They used to, you know, sometimes get the better of the big the bigger teams and, you know, shock the grid. But as the season went on, that lack of resources or lack of experience showed and their competitors started to get the better of them. And I've just got a nagging feeling that this is starting to happen again. Yeah, very, very true. Um, I mean, of course, you know, we talk about limited resources. They've only just moved into the new factory not so long ago. So obviously there's going to be a teething period there. They've still got their wind tunnel and simulator that isn't fully online yet. They're still sharing the Mercedes one. So obviously there's going to be limitations on what they can do there. So... You know, Lee, taking all that into account, are we starting to realise the limits of Aston Martin's resources at this point in time compared to their rivals at the moment at the front, who obviously are able to develop at a much faster rate than they are at the moment? I, I think it is the, the the appearance of the limitations in the team. Obviously, um, Lawrence Stroll has grand designs on what he wants the team to end up being. I mean, obviously a championship winning team, but that's a journey. And we're still at the point of the journey. Yes, they can build a fast car, which is an improvement over previous seasons. But as I already said, the development race, and they're not, they haven't proven that they can do keep up to the development race and they don't have the experience to maintain a strong development race. And that will come. But at the moment they've been beaten so far this season in the development Yes, they may have been caught out by the tyres change. But when the tyres have been done in the name of safety, because obviously they didn't change the tyres from last season because they didn't know what kind of loads to expect into this season. And obviously no no one wants tyre blowouts because that's dangerous to fans at the track. That's changed to drivers and even um, trackside support staff. So it's they, they in the name of safety that has to be done, um, especially as we know the loads. But yeah, Aston Martin yeah, have been caught out and obviously they can try and come back in the development race this season. Um, but they probably won't be able to catch up with the development as they're already behind because they, if they could keep up with the development, they wouldn't have fallen behind in the development race. No, very, very true. Um, let's look at a few other stories before we wrap things up in the midfield. 
Daniel Ricciardo, we've got to start with him first. We did touch on this a little bit earlier on when we were talking about Sergio Perez, but, you know, Danny Rick coming in, it was a big surprise to many people that he was going to be in a Formula One car uh, much earlier in the season. I think some of us would have expected, if at all. And he's come into this weekend with not many minutes or hours behind the wheel of the Alpha Tauri. And I've got to say, I was thoroughly impressed with what Daniel Ricciardo did this weekend. Ultimately, it wasn't the points finished that I predicted quite so boldly, but he wasn't too far away from that. You could argue the limitations of the car probably was a factor in all of that. And also the first lap incident that he managed to, you know, not get too involved into a certain degree. But he had Sonoda beating all ends up. And I think when you're looking at positives for Daniel Ricciardo's return and, and being hopeful perhaps that he could make something of this and maybe even put himself in the frame for a Red Bull seat in either 2024 or 25. This was a very good place to start for him this weekend. I was worried about him, but ultimately I think he'll come away from this weekend feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah, he, he certainly did a good job. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to have a look at the situation that a realism of of where the F1 grid is. And we, we all know loads of things can happen in an F1 uh, race. But generally speaking, you've now got five teams. Well, Red Bull are in a league of their own. But then behind there, you've got four teams that are going to be, that pull themselves away from the rest. So if if all the drivers from those said teams finish the race in the positions they expect to be, that's the points gone. So then you're sort of looking at the the what has now become the B category. Or but perhaps C, because Red Bull are A, then you've got B, and then you've got C. Alpha Terry are very much in that C category. And Daniel, you know, he, he got the better of some of those drivers in that said category. So he can come away um, pleased with the effort that he's uh, put in this weekend. And he already seems more comfortable in that car. I know it's only one race, but he seems more comfortable in that car than he did during most of his time at McLaren. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, Lee, a quick note on Sonoda. Of course, you know, we talked about Ricardo's return. Very good weekend for Daniel Ricardo. Hopefully this is a sign of things to come for him at AlphaTauri. Is there an element of this where Sonoda might be a little bit concerned? Because whilst we weren't expecting Sonoda to have to really worry about what Ricardo was going to do, he was always going to be the benchmark or the measuring stick. And as we've often seen with a few other teams, that when someone comes into a team at this point of the season or we get a change like we saw last season with Kevin Magnussen coming back at Haas, the driver you wouldn't expect to be under pressure suddenly becomes under pressure. 
is there a concern perhaps at AlphaTauri where if this is a regular occurrence for the remainder of the season that perhaps Sonoda might be a little bit under pressure to perform or risk losing his seat? Because according to Lewis Hamilton, this is the sort of thing that Red Bull do when he was asked in an interview about his thoughts on De Vries losing his seat. Yeah, I think um, he, Sonoda has to be keeping an eye um, on his seat and he's going to be under pressure. The We said at the beginning of the season that we feel that he needed to step up this season and show that he deserves to stay in Formula 1, which he appears to have been doing against Nick. Um, but if Daniel now comes in and can maintain an advantage over uh, Yuki for the rest of the season, all of a sudden that's him on the back foot and he's, he hasn't done the stuff that's needed to keep him in the sport because he's given way to a driver that's been out of the sport for six months. And very, we know how ruthless the, the Rebel programme can be. We've seen, obviously, Nick lose his seat uh, a week ago and it could easily be Yuki being made way for um, young drivers to come into the sport and Daniel just be the uh, lead driver for next season. And it's it's something that Yuki really has to make sure that he doesn't let, for his own sake, let Daniel beat him week in and week out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was alluding to an interview that Sir Lewis Hamilton had with uh, some of the media. They asked him for his thoughts on Nick DeVries. And, and as I mentioned already, this is the sort of thing that Red Bull do. And I don't think that's necessarily harsh on Red Bull they are quite ruthless in this regard I don't believe right now that the slightest concern over Yuki Tsunoda's performances will have entered into their heads but it will be a surprise to them that Ricardo has come back and straight away has has dominated his teammate in the way that he did this weekend it was quite surprising but you know those are the standards I suppose you know everybody's vying out for these big seats or opportunities and it's literally you know win or lose at this point you know I can't really think of a better way to put it quite frankly so we're going to move on and for the final part of the episode Lee got to come to you on your sympathy pit lane uh who is making your sympathy pit lane this weekend well um sympathy pit, pit lane this weekend it's not a individual it's a team the entity of Alpine uh after the last time out they had a miserable race and again it lasted well, technically it lasted more than one lap because um, Ocon went around an extra lap. But it lasted all till turn one. It took each other out after being involved in a game of bumper cars and Alpine lost. Um, and especially a few races ago, we were talking about Alpine are on the up. They're delivering the results after the messy starts of the season. And it's just seems to have gone. Obviously, Rossi has been given marching orders at Alpine as well. So it's changed again at the top again. Um, so there's obviously some internal politics going on and having bad races it can obviously affect the drivers it affects the wider team that they're not bringing back results um, and completely dents the morale and it's it's obviously a shame to see when any driver DNF but when it's a, a multi-DNF multiple races in a row it really hurts the team and you've gone from Alpine being um, fifth in the constructors and they've been completely leapfrogged by McLaren in a couple of races to uh, and they wouldn't have seen that coming. And just real, really sorry for them. They have the complete sympathy at the moment that they've just been having a bit of a nightmare mid-season. I mean, they're very much in no man's land right now, aren't they? Because, you know, Miami wasn't too long ago that Lauren Rossi read out the right act to the team, threw yeah. them under the bus in certain regards as well, targeting P4. And then, of course, with the form of uh, some of the teams at Barcelona, P4 probably unrealistic for them in the Constructors' Championship, but wasn't out of the realms of possibility, depending on how things went. 
And since then, McLaren have come out of nowhere, gotten ahead of them almost at the first opportunity, and are now 40 points ahead of them in the Constructors' Championship, which is insane when you think where McLaren were only a, f- uh, a month or so ago. And now they're like 36 points ahead of Williams. And I can't see... W- you could probably combine Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo and, and, and Alfa Tauri's points all put together. And I still think Alpine are going to finish ahead of them by the end of the season. But even then, it's almost like, well, where do Alpine go now? It's It, it literally is it no man's land right now for them. Right. Yeah, I think the, the idea of being at Alpine land isn't as... Uh... Isn't as appealing as uh, as you particularly uh, made out. You know, yeah. having a nice time at Alpine Land, you you, you leave empty-handed. But um, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really tough one. I think Alpine are another team. You know, we talk a lot about Ferrari. Alpine are another team that like to talk themselves up and say, yeah, you know, we we we're going to be challenging. We're going to be challenging. We're still waiting. I I, I feel that is a situation at Alpine, and you're seeing other teams like Aston Martin really put in the background work with facilities to improve and we're just not seeing that same energy from Alpine. Yeah, it is very, very bleak at the moment for them. I mean, to their credit, it was incredibly unlucky this weekend. I don't think... I mean, qualifying wasn't the best. Obviously, neither driver getting through into Q3, which would have obviously annoyed them. But uh, yeah, to be taken out like that and also, you know, when Ocon's car was spun around when it was like half of it was hanging off the side of it, and seeing his teammate, you can only imagine what he must have been thinking. But then obviously looking back at the replay, it was a domino effect caused by Joe Guan Yu after a dismal start for him from an impressive qualifying. He just got a bit overzealous on the brakes. And uh, yeah, it's incredibly unlucky for Alpine. And, um, you know, there's not much more you can really say about it. Really, it's just hard luck, really. You have to go again. I'm sure they'll be up and going again. It's just, uh, yeah, really have the sympathy for this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There was a topic on the budget cap that the FIA have answered speculation on. Um, I think we can talk about it briefly before we sign off for this episode. So for a few of you that would have kept an eye on the F1 news this week, there's been a lot of talk from German publications and Italian publications regarding the outcome of the 2022 cost cap um, accounts and there were reports in Italian media saying that three teams were rumoured to have breached the budget budget cap from 2022. German publications were saying that only two teams have breached the budget cap. This all came in the wake of Stefano Domenicali saying that there needs to be more sporting punishments given to teams that have breached the budget cap, contrary to what we saw last year with Red Bull breaching the budget cap and of course uh, separate breaches from Aston Martin and Williams respectfully. And the FIA have responded to these reports and this speculation saying that that some teams may have breached the financial regulations in 2022. The speculation on this is completely unfounded. The process is still ongoing and no teams have been given their certification status, whether they've complied or committed a breach. Now, we saw a lot of those last year when they were handing out those certificates to people. The FIA has said that Auditing field work is still ongoing and is scheduled to conclude in the upcoming weeks. It will take longer after that to finalise the review. There's no specific deadline in order not to prejudice the robustness and the effectiveness of the review. And I mean, guys, I'm glad that they have come out because I did say when we were talking about this in the uh, couple of days ago, I think they need to come out and just respond to this speculation because 
given the nature of how things unfolded last season where there were leaks within the FIA, someone had obviously talked to a few of the teams. There was that famous picture of Total Wolf and Matta Binotto that were talking about this because they'd obviously heard things and then Christian Horner was targeting them because they were talking about Red Bull. And then obviously it came out after everything had been said that Red Bull had breached the budget cap. This season, it feels like the FIA have to be very careful about this is handled because Red Bull, after breaching the budget cap last season, very much have a target on their back over this. And a lot of people that will be watching F1 at the moment will probably have the opinion that if Red Bull breached the budget cap again, given how dominant they have been, particularly this season, a similar penalty to what they got last season will no longer be sufficient. And the possibility of these budget cap regulations being taken seriously really do hang in the balance, depending on, first of all, if anyone has in fact breached the budget cap and what punishments they hand out as a result of that. I mean, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, My thoughts within within the rumours in Formula 1 is generally... When there's a rumour in Formula 1, there is some foundation and shred of truth to have those rumours come through. And they may not be 100% accurate, but there's very rarely basis lies within Formula 1. Obviously, they do exist, but normally it's more exaggerations from the truth than a out-and-out liar. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there is something, but I do agree that the FA need to come out and say something until there is confirmation one way or another there shouldn't be accusations because obviously that uh, diminishes the sport, that diminishes the teams and obviously the brands of those teams um, until obviously they're found guilty or not found guilty and actually complied. Um, so I'm glad that the FA come out. But I don't think this is the end of it. I think it's only going to get messier until the whole process is finished. Mm. And this is something that I think, given the time scale in which the FIA have talked about this, obviously we'll get news of this hopefully before we did when we went to the Singapore Grand Prix, but it does very much feel like this is something that could come out in the summer break, maybe not given everyone's downing tools at that time, so they probably don't want to put this big news and then everybody's got to, you know, Christian Horner's got to put down the barbecue and get in front of the cameras again to you know, deal with the speculation that I'm sure will come his way regardless of the outcome. And I'm not saying this is Red Bull in particular, but I feel like there is going to be a target on their backs because of how things went down last year. There are still some people that feel that the punishment wasn't severe enough to deter Red Bull or deter anyone else. They feel like there's a risk factor there where some teams could overspend and say, okay, well, if we win a world championship or a few races and it costs us an extra $7 million, so be it. So, you know, Courtney, in your mind, how important is it that this whole budget cap situation is handled with the most utmost delicacy at hand, but also if there are teams found to be breaching, how important is it to get the punishments right? No, it's, it's, it's very important, um, you know, for the integrity of the sport um, altogether, because you put it perfectly, mate, that if, if it's, it's, it's very difficult because you don't want to throw particular names, but you are right. Red Bull are the team you look at. And let's say, hypothetically speaking, I need to, I need to stress the hypothetical, in this, if Red Bull have breached the um the regulations uh again, they do need to be made an example of because you're right. If a team breaches has breached on multiple occasions and nothing comes of it, I think that very much sets a precedent for the other teams to go, you know what, 
I can overspend and I'm not going to get punished for it. But at the same time, it does need to be dealt with uh, in a respectful manner so we don't get a lot of speculation because it's very easy to jump on speculation, particularly when the team is dominating. Well, we've already had front. it, haven't we? Exactly. That That's the thing. And with a team dominating at the front, it is very easy to uh, make accusations. So we, you need to get the facts with it. And I think it also needs to be wrapped up with relatively, uh, relatively quickly as well because time sometimes silence silence increases speculation so i i i i want it to be dealt with effectively but I don't want it to drag out because it did drag out for way too long last season yeah it certainly did but i think you're given the benefit of the doubt the fact that this was the first iteration where it was put into practice i know they did a bit of a test in 2020 for all, all things considered but obviously you know things that were going on in the world obviously put a halt to that in particular it's going to be very delicate I, I'm not confident that people that will be watching this and fans following the sport will treat it with the same level of delicacy and sensitivity that it deserves. Because I think, as we've already seen, you know, speculation is rife. And as soon as Stefano Domenicali said what he said about the sporting penalties, everybody who's got a social media account and an interest in this comes out and says what they want to say. A lot of uh, a lot of fire, a lot of shade is being thrown at Red Bull. I totally understand why, but I also accept at the same time that just because they're dominating right now doesn't mean to say they've done so on the grounds that they've spent too much money. As it stands, if they have done that, then I absolutely agree. The book should be thrown at them, and I think precedent has to be set going forward because, as I mentioned already, there is a risk element that I feel like could be produced by some teams that think well okay well we can overspend a little bit and breach the budget cap but that's okay because we'll win a world championship by doing that we don't want the sport to become that because it ends up descending into chaos and then it just becomes an arms race again where only the expensive or the teams with the biggest budgets end up getting the results and f1 is starting to diverge into the or you know start to move in the right direction from a competition perspective we just got to figure out a way to try and bring that one team that's dominating at the moment back into uh, the play with everyone else or move everybody else forward uh, one way or the other, quite frankly. Yeah, well, that'd be the outcome, but obviously they're all within the, the rules, but as I said, we don't want any speculation or rumours and just everyone's taking from a legal perspective in in, in law of prove, innocence or proven guilty and that's the way we should obviously approach any, any teams regarding the the budget cap. Mm, absolutely. Um I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. We have covered quite a lot in this particular review. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Of course, as always, get your comments in the comment section. Let us know your thoughts on what we're down this weekend. And also let us know what you think about the budget cap speculation. Of course, although do keep it respectful, mind you, because at this point, none of us really know anything. I know people claim to know this and that and everything else. But I think until we get news, probably going to be in the summer break or a little bit after... I think we can leave it there for now and talk about that in a bit more detail more near the time. But of course, in the next episode, we will be previewing the Belgium Grand Prix, the final race before the F1 summer break. Can anybody stop Red Bull and Max Verstappen? At this point in time, it doesn't look likely, but we'll keep on hoping because that's what we do as F1 fans. Hope for the best. But until then, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, take care. We'll see you soon. And of course, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care.
Social Podcast Network.